Well, hello. It's great to be with you all today. Um, I, this is my first time being in this building as well, and it's, it's an awesome building. So um, if you're wondering who is this guy up here, um, so I'm the husband of Sarah Corley, or Sarah Coleman now, and then um, Chris and Diane are my uh, parents-in-law. And so uh, thank you so much. You as a church have loved my family very well, and i um, really thankful to be here with you. Um, also, as a church, you've actually supported me in my ministry. I'm at Texas A&M doing ministry to international students. And so if you're supporting this church, you're actually also supporting uh, missions to international students at Texas A&M. And so um, thank you so much. I really appreciate this church. And yeah, I'm just I'm really glad to be with you all today. Um, so it's a really great honor um, to be able to open God's word with you. We're going to be continuing on. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be beginning chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. So if you have your Bible, it would be great if you could turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And uh, as I was studying this passage, as I was preparing this week, um, I just found myself again and again being so convicted uh, by the words in this this passage, Um, but yet also so encouraged. And so I hope that that's what you take away from this as well, that uh, Jesus, he's going to have a lot to say about righteousness. He's going to teach us about false righteousness and true righteousness. Uh, and there are really convicting things for our, for our hearts and for our souls in this passage. But also there's, there's a, a huge exhortation to holiness here. And there's an encouragement here that, that we have the resources. We have the grace. We have the ability to live out a life that is truly righteous because of what Jesus has done for us. And so because of what Jesus says to us in this passage, we can go out into this world with assurance that our labor is never in vain. As Christians, when we go out to live for Christ, when we go out to love people as as Christ's hands and feet, um, we can go out with assurance that nothing that we do for Christ is ever in vain, that our Father sees what we do and he always rewards it. And so um, I'll read now uh, the word of God. This is Matthew 6 verses 1 through 4, hear now the holy and errant inspired word of God. Starting in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true. It's given to us in love for our good. Um, I'm going to pray for the preaching of it, and then we'll jump into the sermon. So please pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you so much um, that we get to... Um, come to this place and we get to worship you. We get to enter into your presence. Um, thank you that where one or two are gathered in your name, you're present with us. And so, Father, as we approach your word, Lord, I ask that you would give me clarity. Um, I ask that you would help me to communicate clearly. Um, and I ask that you would calm my heart and allow um, your Holy Spirit to speak to us today. Father, I pray and ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Uh, and so... Uh, as we look at this passage, really, uh, this passage is a story of two holinesses. It's, it's a story of two types of righteousness and two types of reward. Okay, and so what we're going to see, uh, really, we're going to look at this passage under two headings. We're going to see a false righteousness that leads to a fleeting reward. 
And we're going we're to see a true righteousness that leads to an enduring and everlasting reward. Um, and so first, in, in verses 1 through 2, we're going to see a false righteousness. What does it look like? Uh, what, what sort of righteousness might it be um, for us to live out a righteousness that's hypocritical? And, and how can we avoid that? And so uh, look with me again at verse 1 of our passage. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And so in this first verse, Jesus is actually laying down a principle. Um, It's a really important principle, and he's actually going to keep expounding on this principle for the next 17 verses. And so you're going to keep seeing this principle come up over and over again in the next several sermons. Uh, But essentially, this this principle is that uh, when we seek to do things that are righteous, when we're out in the world and we uh, give uh, of our resources to those in need, or when we pray or when we fast, when we do things that are pious, um, our hearts are so subtle in their sin that we can take things that are actually righteous and twist them. We can have the right what, but the wrong why. And so Jesus, in the way that he always does, he's, he's trying to get to our hearts. He's, he's showing us that um, it's not, our righteousness is not just about our outward behavior, but it's actually about the, um, the disposition of our heart towards God. And so this principle is that if we're out in the world and we do righteous deeds with an eye towards um, being seen by others and looked on favorably by them, if our primary goal in doing our righteous deeds is actually to build uh, a name for ourselves, uh, then we've got the right what but the wrong why. And that pollutes the whole thing. And so we really need to be careful of this. Our, our hearts are so subtle in their sin that we can be doing things and think we're doing righteous things, but actually um, we have no reward from our Father in heaven if we're acting in this way. And so um, this is just going to be showing up over and over again over the next few weeks. But if you're, a, if you're someone who's been reading through the Sermon on the Mount as you go through this sermon series, um, I want to talk about verse uh, 16 of chapter 5 real quick. This is in the same sermon. This is what Jesus said just a little bit earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. And it, it seems like on first blush that there might be a contradiction. So I want to address that. Um, So Matthew 5, verse 16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so if if you have read this, and, and and then you come here and you see that Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, it could seem like there's a contradiction. Right? Matthew 5, let your light shine before others so that others might see your good works and glorify God. And then Matthew chapter 6, in the same sermon, Jesus turns around and says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others. And so is there a contradiction here? here? Well, no, there is not. Um, I really love Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, he's a pastor and commentator. I think he has something great that's very helpful uh, for us to hear. So I'm going to read to you what he said in his commentary on this passage. He says, but of course, that is obviously only a superficial contradiction. In other words, there is no contradiction here. But we are called to do both these things at one and the same time. The Christian is to live in such a way that men looking at him and seeing the quality of his life will glorify God. He must always remember at the same time that he is not to do things in order that he may attract attention to himself. He may not not desire to be seen by men. He is never to be self-conscious. And so even if you look closely at uh, Matthew 6, uh, verse 1, again, you'll, you'll see that it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
And so the principle here is that uh, there's nothing wrong with actually being seen doing something righteous. We are called to have Christ-like character in public. Um, but there is something wrong with doing things in public to be seen doing them. Right? It, it, it's, it's not that we can't live out our Christ-like lives in public, but rather um, it, it's wrong to, to give in order to be seen giving. It's wrong to pray just in order to be seen praying. Uh, and so it's a question of whose kingdom are we building? Are we building our kingdom or are we doing it to build God's kingdom? And so now kind of having addressed that, um, I, I just want to talk for a moment uh, about this idea of rewards. You see, because in this verse one, Jesus is saying, if you live out this hypocritical righteousness, if you're building your kingdom, if you're trying to please yourself and make a name for yourself with other people, you'll receive a reward. It's just not a very good one. You'll receive the fleeting uh, adulation of your peers who might look at you well today and then they're going to forget about it. And that, that doesn't last. If your name that you're putting your identity in is built on what other people think of you, then you'll constantly be struggling. You'll constantly be giving in to peer pressure. And you'll never have a real identity that's sure. However, if, if we actually live out our lives in the service of God, if, if, we, if we live out our righteousness in order to please him, then we have a reward that is sure. And so you might, you might meet people that think that the Christian life is a life where we give up happiness so that we might fulfill, like, duty. Okay? And, and what, what I want you to realize, this passage is teaching us the Christian life is the happiest life that there is. Okay? Like, the Christian life has the best rewards that there is. The gospel is so happy. It's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. And so the Christian life is not about minimizing our happiness and, and for the sake of cold duty. No, it's about maximizing our happiness by pointing our lives at their intended purpose, by pointing our lives at what has true significance, what has a lasting reward. And so now look with me at verse 2. It says, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. And so I think Jesus gives us uh, this fantastic image. Most of the commentators that I read thought that this was not common practice. It's not that people were actually going around blowing a trumpet and then drawing attention to their giving to the poor. Uh, but rather, Jesus is basically saying, don't toot your own horn. Right? If, if you're going to be giving and, and, and your reason for giving is to be seen giving, then you're, you're missing the whole point. Right? Your, your motivation is wrong. You, you have the right what, but the wrong why. And it pollutes the whole thing. And so, um, uh, again, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think he has a, a great quote that really helps us get to the heart of this, uh, this issue. He says, the principle here is that the ultimate choice is always a choice between pleasing ourself and pleasing God. And this is really a scary thing to think about, that our hearts are so insidious, that our hearts are so sinful, and our sin is so subtle, that we can do even really good things and yet the whole time be sinning because we're doing those things out of a heart that wants to build a name for ourselves, not a heart that wants to, to love God, not, not a heart that's doing it for his glory. Um, so there, there's, a, there's a quote from a, a classic book uh, called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Some of you may have read it um, for a college lit class or something. Um, it's a pretty good book. And at one point, um, kind of at a pivotal moment in the, in the story, um, this doctor who's created a potion that when he drinks it, it turns him into his evil self. 
But his, his plan was to be evil when he drinks the potion so that he can be good when he doesn't, basically. And so he has kind of this dualism. But there's this key moment in the story where his plan sort of backfires. And without ever drinking the potion, he actually turns into Mr. Hyde, who's sort of his evil self. And so I want to read you this. I think it's, it's so instructive for the subtleness of the sin in our hearts. Um, but in, in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it says this. It was a fine, clear January day, wet underfoot, where the frost had melted, but cloudless overhead, and the Regent's Park was full of winter chirrupings and the, sweet and, uh, the sweetness of spring odors. I sat in the sun on a bench, the animal within me licking the chops of memory, the spiritual side a little drowsed, promising subsequent penitence, but not yet moved to begin. After all, I, I reflected, I was like my neighbors, and then I smiled, comparing myself with other men, comparing my active goodwill with the lazy cruelty of their neglect. And at that very moment, at the moment of that vainglorious thought, a qualm came over me, a horrid nausea, and the most deadly of shudderings. These passed away and left me faint. And then, as, the, as in turn the faintness subsided, I began to be aware of a change in the temper of my thoughts, a greater boldness, a contempt of danger, absolution of the bonds of obligation. I looked down, my clothes hung formlessly on my shrunken limbs, the hand that lay on my knee was corded and hairy. I was once more Edward Hyde. And so this is just, I think it's such a beautiful example and a really scary example of the way that we can uh, begin to, to pontificate on our own righteousness and not realize that we're actually being self-righteous. And, and so this, this is a warning for us that Jesus is giving. It's a good warning. Because if, if we live out that righteousness, the false hypocritical righteousness, we'll have no reward from our Father in heaven. But if we live out a righteousness that is lived out in service of God, then we'll have a reward that will last forever. What we do in secret for God, he will reward in public. And so, um, as an application of this, I mean, it, it is actually very terrifying to me. This is what was convicting to me this week. Is that it's possible for me to stand here and to preach the most rousing sermon and have no reward. It's possible for us to pray the most eloquent prayer and have no reward. It's possible for us to care for the, the sick or to give to the needy and do it from the wrong heart motive. And have no reward. And so the question that I want to ask us today, and, and this question I've been asking myself this week is, how often are the things that I do, for, are, are, they, are they simply to build a name for myself? How long are the things that I ostensibly do for God actually being done out of a heart that wants honor for myself without actually any thought to pleasing God? Without any thought for His glory? This is a truly scary thought to me. Um... Jesus isn't just after our behavior. He's after our hearts. Jesus, he, he doesn't just care about our outward actions. He cares about uh, the inward desires and motivations of our heart. And so now having looked at a, a false and fleeting righteousness, a righteousness that's hypocritical, that has a false and fleeting reward, let's turn and look at what Jesus has to teach us about a true righteousness that has a substantive and lasting reward. So look with me again uh, now at verse 3. It says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so, in elaborating about what true righteousness is, Jesus even extends this principle. If, if it's possible for us to do good out of a wrong heart in order to 
receive the adulation of our peers, um, it's also possible to do the same thing uh, with self-aggrandizement, where we build our own ego by patting ourselves on the back, even for, uh, for instance, giving to the poor without anyone seeing. We can also get self-righteous about giving in secret. And so that's why Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's saying, give when you feel led to give, give generously as unto the Lord, and then don't think about it. Don't, you don't need to really pat yourself on the back because God in heaven sees everything that we do. When we, when we give out of a genuine desire to love God, when we give out of a love for the people, our fellow human beings who are made in God's image, our Father in heaven sees that and he rewards it. And so because we know our Father sees everything, we don't have to keep score for ourselves. We don't have to keep a ledger of all our good works. And if we don't do that, the temptation to pride is so much less. And so th- this is truly um, an exhortation that, that our righteousness would be second nature to us. If you've ever played piano, um, or if you've ever played an instrument, you know that while you focus on the music, the music comes easily. But if you're playing piano and you start focusing on your thumbs, all of a sudden the music falls apart. Right? There are certain things that you can't do self-consciously. And, and living out righteousness is one of those things. When we give, we should do it for the, the mere reason that we want to, to love people the way that God has loved us. Right? That, as it, as it says um, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is our motivation for giving, is the way that we've been loved by our Heavenly Father, that he would give even his own son, the way that our King loves us, that he would leave, he would set his glory by, that he would leave the eternal uh, riches of heaven, that he would come down and be born in a stable, that he would live a perfect life that we can't live, and that he would die for us so that we might be rich. This is our true motivation. And if, if, we, if we give out of this motivation, then we won't be prideful. We'll, we'll, we'll give out of gratitude. And so ultimately what Jesus is calling us to when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, is he's calling us to, be, to become second nature givers. Like, like this should be so easy, this should be so... Um, second nature to us. When, and, and the way that it becomes second nature is not by meditating on the type of righteousness. It's actually by meditating on what Christ has done for us. When we set our minds on what Christ has done for us, that enables us to give freely. Um, and so, uh, lastly, l- look with me at, at verse 4. It says, So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I don't think that there's any exhortation that I could give you um, that, would, that would press you on towards living a holy and righteous life better than what it says here when it says, and your father sees you. If we could Think about if we could remember that day in and day out. When we wake up in the morning, if we would remember that we're in the presence of a mighty and good God. If we, if we, as we went through our day, as we, as we talked with our neighbors and friends, if we were to remember that we're always in the presence of a holy and good God who loves us and who loves those around us, how then might we live? Martin Lloyd-Jones said that he thought if we were to live that way, if we were to keep that in our minds, he thought that it would be revolutionary. He said, I think that if, if one church would do that, it would start a revival. And so I, I submit that to you as something to think about this week. Let's remember that at all moments, our Father in heaven sees us. 
He sees us and he loves us. He's not looking at us with a gaze of condemnation. Because if you're in Christ, if you're united to him, God looks at you with the gaze of a father. He, he looks at you with approval and he says, go live out the good works that I've prepared ahead of time for you to do. Uh, the, the talk of rewards is, is all throughout scripture. And, and the rewards that are given to us are beautiful. Romans 2 verses 6 through 8 says this, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. In Revelation 2, this passage where um, it's written to all of these different churches, we get picture after picture of the the beauty and the bounty of God's rewards for us. Uh, To the church in Ephesus, he says, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the church of Smyrna, he says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That we won't go to hell, but we'll be in heaven with a crown of life, worshiping before the throne. To the church in Pergamum, he says, To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone. That no one knows except the one who receives it. The glories of heaven are ours. If you're in Christ, then you're going to see Jesus face to face. And there is no greater reward than that. The beatific vision. Right? Moses saw the back of the train of God's robe and his face shone for days. And heaven will we'll be in the presence of our eternal and glorious and great God. And not through a mirror dimly, but face to face. These are the rewards that await those who persevere in righteousness and who trust by faith in the grace of Jesus. Um, now, even though the rewards in scripture are beautiful and wondrous, um, it's also very easy for us to twist this concept of rewards. So on the one hand, we can begin to think, okay, so there are rewards, so that means I can put God in my debt, and that means that the way I get into heaven is by doing enough good things that the good that I've done outweighs the bad that I've done. And that's all, that's not correct. God's rewards, uh, are, are, they're, they're given to us by grace for our imperfect strivings towards holiness. Even, even the rewards that God gives us are his grace. Augustine said that uh, God is so good, he's so gracious, that he crowns his own gifts. That actually God is gracious enough to, to save us in Christ by faith, to give us a righteousness that's not our own, and then he's gracious enough to prepare works ahead of time for us to do. And then he's so gracious that when we do them, through the power of his Holy Spirit, he turns around and rewards us for it. It's grace all the way from the beginning to end. And so um, I, I love what the Belgic Confession says. This is an old, reformed confession. Lots of theologians spent much time thinking about these words. Um, But in Article 24, it says this, Therefore we do good works, but not to merit by them. For what can we merit? Nay, we are beholden to God for the good works that we do, and not he to us, since it is he that worketh in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let us therefore attend to what is written in Luke 17.10 when it says, When ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done only that which it was our duty to do. And so, saints, like, you can't put God in your debt. But you don't have to. 
Because your Savior is so good that he came out of heaven down to earth. He was incarnated as a human being. He took our likeness. And then he set his face like flint and he walked all the way to the cross. And on the cross he took the punishment for our sin. So that we might receive the righteousness that he deserved. And because of that, now your heavenly father, when he looks at you, if you're in Christ, he doesn't see rebels and and sinners. He, He sees sons and daughters. And because he sees us as sons and daughters, he'll discipline us like a father when we go astray. But there's no condemnation in that discipline. And when we do what is right, every step that we take Godward, he'll always see it and reward it. No good deed that we do that is done out of a pure heart and a sincere love of God, no, no good deed will ever go unrewarded. There's a, there's a song from the, the show Wicked, uh, the Broadway show, that says, no good deed goes unpunished. Um, that basically the, the concept is, every time I do good, I get punished for it. Uh, well, the Christian life is the exact opposite. God sees and he will reward in full every single good thing that you do. If it's done from a pure heart, not, not for your glory, but for God's glory. And so because of that, we can have assurance that our labor is never in vain. Um, to illustrate this idea uh, that, we can't put, that we cannot put God in our debt, but actually that these rewards are relational. It's about taking steps towards God out of love for him, out of a desire, a fight for intimacy with God, because that's what this life is. It's a fight for unrestrained intimacy with God. Um, Charles Spurgeon has a great story about a king and a farmer and a nobleman. So I, I want to read you this just to illustrate a little bit more what we're talking about with rewards. Uh, so once upon a time, there was a great king who ruled over everything in the land. And one day there was a gardener who had grown an enormous carrot. And he took it to the king and said, my lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. And therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. And the king was touched, and he discerned the man's heart, and he said to him, Wait, you're clearly a good steward of the earth, and I want to give you a plot of land freely as a gift so that you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted, and he went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman in the court that day who heard everything that had happened. And he said to himself in his heart, My, if, if that's all it takes is just to give him a carrot, what would he give me if I gave him something better? And so the next day, the nobleman came before the king leading a handsome black stallion. And he bowed low before the king and he said, My lord, I breed horses. And this is the greatest horse that I have ever bred or ever will breed. And therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. And the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you, and dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed, so the king turned to him and said, Let me explain. Yesterday the gardener gave me a carrot. Today you gave yourself a horse. And so th- th- this is what I mean when I said we can't put God in our debt. Don't, don't get so focused on putting God in our debt that, that we miss the fact that this is relational. This is, this is like a father who's clapping at his son's first steps. Right? The reward is inherent in the relationship. Every, every, te- every single step that we take God with. He sees it, and he applauds it, and he rewards it, because he's that good, because he's that gracious. Um, so, uh, just, to, just to sum up, um, I, I think C.S. Lewis has, has an excellent quote that kind of helps us understand this concept of rewards. Uh, this comes from his excellent treatise, The Weight of Glory. And he says, uh, We must be troubled by unbelievers when they say that this promise of reward makes the Christian life a mercenary affair. 
there are different kinds of reward. There is the reward that is uh, of no natural connection with the things that we do to earn it and is quite foreign to the desires that ought to accompany those things. For instance, money is not a natural reward of love, and that is why if a man were to marry a woman for the sake of her money, we would call him a mercenary. However, marriage is a proper reward for a real lover. And so we don't call him mercenary who seeks it. And he is not mercenary for desiring marriage. The proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but they are actually the activity itself in consummation. These rewards are relational. As we, as we move towards God, as, as we haltingly take steps towards righteousness, as we seek to love him more and more, in that relationship, our Father sees it and he rewards it by his grace. And so, ultimately, as the, the Christian life is, is the happiest life that there is. It's, it's the happiest life. It has the most lasting rewards. Because you can only have the lasting rewards that exist. You can only have the happiness that exists. You can't have happiness that doesn't. If you've tried to live life according to uh, the, the ways of this world, if you've tried to seek after the pleasures of this world, you'll know that they're not fulfilling. That sin never takes you where, it wants, where you want to go. And, and in this life, it's, it, it can often seem like um, sin is tempting and, and, it, and it seems like it will take us to happiness, but there's no joy in there. There's no joy where, where our sin leads us. However, where, where, where God leads us, if we follow him, if we grow in relationship and intimacy with him, if we do the, the deeds that he set before us to do out of a desire to love him, actually, we, we receive the most happiness that is possible. We, we receive the greatest rewards that are possible. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says this, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, beyond all comparison. That's the Christian life, is it's a walk towards glory, because it's a, it's a walk towards the glorious one. It's a walk towards your heavenly Father who loves you. And why is it that we can be rewarded at all? Why is it that Jesus can look at every single thing that we do that's righteous, every, every single sincere act of righteousness that we do and reward it? It's because every act of sin also must be punished. And because our king walked to the cross to take the punishment for our sin. Saints, if you're, if you're in Christ, then when Jesus hung on the tree and he took the curse of sin and death, he took the full cup of the wrath of God and he drank it to the dregs, he was doing that so that you might receive an eternal reward. Jesus took the punishment for our sin so that we might, by God's grace, walk in newness of life from this time forth into eternity until we see Jesus face to face. Amen? Let's pray. Um, Father in heaven, Thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for your gifts. Lord, you've blessed us beyond our understanding. And you continue to, to beckon us on, to call us on, upward and inward. Further up and further in, into your love, into relationship with you, and into glory. And so, Father, we, we await with, with deep longing for the day when we see you face to face. For the day when you come back and we can worship before the throne. Come, Lord Jesus, come soon. And until that day. Don't let us take a single step alone. Walk with us. It's in Jesus, our Savior's name, that we pray these things. Amen.